Let's take our Bibles at this time, and we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. Ephesians 6, and we have been, uh, for the last several weeks, kind of emphasizing uh, our theme for the year, which is abide, and it has to do with abiding in Christ, the responsibility of a child of God, someone who's saved, uh, to walk in daily fellowship with the Lord in dependence upon His Holy Spirit and His strength uh, to guide us, to lead us, and to enable us, to give us the grace to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And uh, we spent some time looking at John chapter 15 where uh, the Bible tells us that just like a branch has to abide in the vine in order to uh, bear fruit, uh, so, so do we. We have to abide in Christ uh, if we are to bear spiritual fruit. And we could say to live a life that is glorifying or pleasing to God. And last week we considered the fact that we struggle oftentimes with sin in our lives and with strongholds of sin that would keep us from living a life pleasing to the Lord and looked at even the fact that the Bible gives an answer for that and how we can gain victory not in ourselves or of ourselves but in the Lord Jesus and this morning I want to look at a, probably a familiar passage to many of us here that really is another aspect or uh, we, we could maybe say uh, it's, it's another expression of what it means to abide in Christ. And so we're in Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll begin reading in verse number 10. I'll let you remain seated this morning, but I want you to follow along as we read beginning in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. The Bible says here, finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places." Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation." And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that in these next few moments as we look into your word and we find the truth that we so desperately need, Lord, would you help us to see uh, the importance of standing firm and standing in Christ. And, and uh, Lord, just we, we want to be found faithful uh, at the return of Christ. And I, I know that the desire of every child of God that is sitting in this place this morning is to be found faithful until the end of our life, that we would remain uh, uh, obedient to you, that our lives would be pleasing in your sight, Lord, help us to see that in order to do that, we need you. We need your help. We need you to, to, to help us every moment of the day in order that we might stand. 
And so help us even in this time as we look into your word to not only learn, but to understand and to apply truth to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned that last week we looked at the issue of the bondage that so many people find themselves in to sin. There are many people who the Bible would describe as those that cannot cease from sin. I hope that at this point, if you've been listening to uh, the messages here on Sunday morning, that we could all agree that the key to success in the Christian life is actually to not operate in our own wisdom or our own strength uh, or in in the ability of our flesh, but rather to rely upon and rest in uh, the, 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 the grace that God gives us to walk closely with the Lord and to seek His leadership and guidance for every day. As we consider the idea of being in bondage to sin and being free from the bondage of sin, we looked at the, uh, the, the fact that, again, in order to be free, we must identify with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. We must literally walk in the newness of life that we have been called to as a child of God. But one of the things that was mentioned last week as we were talking about that was the enemies that come against us. The fact that uh, we have uh, forces that are working against uh, our, our success as a child of God, the, the things that are keep trying to keep us from living lives that are obedient and pleasing to the Lord. And one of those, of course, and one of the greatest uh, areas of resistance to our faith and obedience to God is actually that we have an enemy who is very real, and his name is Satan. Now, I know that the world downplays the the reality of Satan and and kind of mocks and scorns, and uh, the world depicts oftentimes the devil as some kind of a a red creature with a tail and a pitchfork who, uh, you know, sits on your shoulder trying to convince you to do do bad things. But I want you to know that uh, when we come to the beginning of the Bible and we see God creating everything in perfection and and creating man in his image to do that which is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord, uh, from from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, there enters an enemy, one who is a deceitful, one who is a liar, one who comes in to try and deter man from doing the will of God. And by giving in to his temptation, Adam and Eve plunged the whole world into sin. The curse that we live under today, the curse of sin and of death, is a result of listening to the lies of an enemy. And I want you to know that that same enemy, Satan, is every bit as much alive today as he was 6,000 years ago. He is every bit as much active today in working against people, and especially God's people, to try and hinder us from living the life that God wants us to live. God desires for us that we would live an abundant life. Uh, Jesus said in, in John chapter 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And I hope you understand that when he's talking about an abundant life, he's not saying, I just want them to have uh, abundance here in this life. It's not about earthly prosperity and health and happiness, but rather it has to do with living a life of, of completion, a life of peace and joy that is found in fellowship with God and knowing the Lord and having the fullness of the Spirit in our lives. That's what God wants for you. It's what he wants for me. And that's the very thing 
that Satan is actively working to keep us from. Now, if you're here this morning and you are saved, I want you to know that you are kept by the power of God. You are secure in Christ. If you know Christ as your Savior, your sins have been washed away, and you are forever eternally kept by God, you'll never lose that salvation. You have a home in heaven waiting for you when this life is over. Nothing can ever change that. Satan can't get your soul. But I want you to know that if you're not careful and you, you live your life yielding, to Satan and his temptations, he will be successful in derailing you from the very purpose for which God has designed you. He, he can be successful in, in holding you back from the abundant life that is found in Christ. And so I want you to notice in verse number 12, as the Apostle Paul is talking here, he introduces the enemy. And he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But he says we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know what Paul is saying here as he's dealing with this issue of, uh, of, uh, of this spiritual battle that we find ourselves in? He says, but you, you need to understand the enemy that you face. The problem and the thing that is, is working against you is not flesh and blood. It's not something tangible that you can see. Now, this is really important because so often we blame tangible things for our struggles, right? I mean, Adam did that, didn't he? Uh, Lord, it was the wife that you gave me that led me to do wrong. And he blamed a person. He blamed a relationship. You know how often I talk to someone about, about needs in their life and all they can do is point the finger at other people and what so-and-so has done and what this person did. And, and yeah, but have you seen or heard what this person did? And listen, I want you to know uh, people are problems. <laughs> can we agree with that? Uh, we, we all have struggles with people. And relationships. We all deal with those things. But I want you to know that the, the most difficult person in your life is not really the person that is hindering you from being what God wants you to be. Because our struggle, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Believe it or not, our battle is not against circumstances. Well, I wanted to do right and serve the Lord, but this trial came into my life, this problem arose, this, uh, th this struggle that I have, this addiction that I have, this relationship that I have, this financial difficulty that I have, whatever it is, those circumstances do not keep us from being right with God and serving God. Can those things be hindrances that Satan would use to discourage and distract? Yes, absolutely, but understand that what you're seeing with your eyes is merely the object that is being used by an enemy who is cunning and crafty and striving to work against you. And what's, what, what Paul is saying here is uh, our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is actually with higher powers in the spiritual realm. Now, again, we're Americans. Uh, we're Westerners. We tend to think of everything in terms of uh, the physical world around us. We assume that everything has a, a, a physical, scientific explanation. But I want you to know 
that regardless of whether you believe it or not, there are spiritual forces actively at work today in your life and in my life. God himself, the Bible says, is a spirit. And he has revealed himself, one of the ways that he's revealed himself is as the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, who is actively working in the life of lost people who don't know Christ to convict them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come, to draw them unto Christ so that they would be saved. The Holy Spirit is actively working. While he is working on them, so is Satan. The Bible says that the God of this world, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. There is a battle taking place for the lost of the world. Now we are saved, most of us here. We know Christ, we have been born again. Praise the Lord. But you also have spiritual forces working in your life. The Holy Spirit of God that dwells inside of you is working to guide you into all truth, to teach you, to, to direct you, to comfort you, to give you peace, to give you wisdom, and to give you understanding. He is working to bring about a sanctifying work in your life that you would become like Christ. And while he is working, Satan and his demons are also working. They're working to try to discourage you. They're working to try and distract you, to tempt you, to cause you to not believe God, and to derail you from God's purpose in your life. And whether you realize it or not, there are absolutely very real persons behind the scenes that you cannot see with your eyes or hear with your ears, but they are every bit as real as you and I that are at work today. And the truth is that every one of us will ultimately, our lives will result in who we choose to yield to, whether to God or to Satan. Now, if you're saved today, you've already yielded to Christ, you've been born again, praise the Lord, you are on the winning side. But let me ask you, will you live a life of victory? Will you live a life of abundance? Or will you live a life of frustration and discouragement and defeat. I want you to notice the wording of, uh, of this passage of Scripture. In verse number 11, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at verse number 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Verse 14, <clears throat> stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and so on. <clears throat> so notice that in this battle, this spiritual battle that, that Paul is describing here, that the end goal is maybe not what you would think. Often we think of a battle uh, to... Uh, entities, two forces coming against one another, and the goal is what? Victory, right? We want to gain ground. We want to conquer territory. We want to overcome the enemy. Well, we, we want to win. But have you ever stopped to consider that some battles are just so fierce that you're doing well if you can come through it and just still be standing? 
Because in the midst of a very serious battle, there are many casualties. The truth is that in this spiritual battle that we find ourselves in, there are many casualties. And the goal is to remain standing without becoming one of them. That at the end of our life, that we will be able to say, like Paul said to Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I am ready to meet the Lord. Sadly, many have become casualties of this war. I want you to hold your place here, but go with me to 1 Timothy, if you would, just a few pages forward. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 18. The Bible says here, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Isn't that an interesting illustration that he uses? He says there, there are certain individuals, and he even lists them, he names some of them. Hymenius and Alexander. Uh, these people, he says that they, at some point, they let go of faith and a good conscience, and the result was their lives became shipwrecked. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, uh, Paul says there, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So you got the, these, these statements that it's possible to become shipwrecked or to become a castaway. In other words, it's possible that your life could be derailed to such a degree that when others look at you, your testimony is not one of faith and obedience and victory, but rather it is a sad story of a casualty of the war. Now, if we're real honest, every one of us could think in our minds of people that we have known, people who maybe sat next to you where you sit today, who at one time, they were yielded to the Lord. They were submitted to Him. They were following His direction for life. But distraction and discouragement had their way. Sin entered the picture. And they are nowhere to be found today in regard to a life of obedience to the Lord. They're a shell of who they used to be. I sadly uh, had friends, many friends, uh, who I served the Lord with. Uh, people I was in Bible college with. People that uh, we served the Lord together. We used to go out on, on Saturdays. We'd spend five hours on Saturdays knocking doors trying to build a bus route. We'd go to the nursing homes on Sunday afternoons and preach together. 
we, were, uh, we, we worked together. We went to class together. We served the Lord together. We'd have Bible studies and prayer meetings together. And we encouraged each other in the things of the Lord. And many of them today, sadly, have no interest in serving God. And their lives are actually a, a testament of just how sad it is when Satan gets a hold of someone. I have people who stood up in my wedding as groomsmen that have, they're not in church today anywhere. Uh, one in particular has spent time in prison for sin, crimes that he committed. Their lives have become shipwrecked shipwrecked, and in many ways we could say that they are castaways. It's sad, it's tragic, and yet all of us know of those, uh, those, those situations, those stories. I've stood in, in Bible College Chapel and, and, and warned the students that if you look around at those who are sitting next to you, there will come a day, ten years from now, many of these people will not be serving the Lord. It's sad, it's tragic, but it's a reality. There are casualties in this war. I spoke with a, early on in the, uh, in the Iraq war, I spoke with a, a soldier who was uh, getting ready to deploy over there. And he said that he had just had a, a, a meeting, his unit had had a meeting in preparation for going over. And one of the things that, that they said was basically, look, look at the guy on your right and look at the guy on your left. One of you three will probably not come home. Imagine the sobering reality of that. truth is, every war has casualties, doesn't it? And the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in today is no different. You are a target for the enemy. He is seeking to destroy. He is looking for opportunity to keep you from being what God wants you to be. The Bible here gives a prescription for how we can stand. How we can endure even in this difficult battle. You do not have to become a casualty. You can remain standing. I want you to notice in verse number 14 in our passage of Ephesians here. Ephesians 6 and verse number 14. Or verse 13 rather. Notice that he says... Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so here in this passage, we famously get this illustration of spiritual truths that are likened to physical armor. Armor that would have been used, no doubt, in the first century when this was written by soldiers, uh, particularly Roman soldiers, that uh, they would have worn certain pieces of armor that would have protected them in battle uh, against their enemies. And, and Paul is using this as an illustration to say 
that just like a physical, real soldier is going to go to battle with actual physical armor, you, as a spiritual child of God, must put on spiritual armor. This is the illustration. There is protection that God has provided for you. And I want you to notice that he says that we are to put it on. We are to take it unto us. In other words, this implies intentionality. It implies some effort. It means that it's not just going to come automatically. In other words, he's not saying, you know, uh, as long as you're saved, God is just going to protect you and keep you and there's never going to be uh, any opportunity for you to fall or to fail. Actually, he's admonishing us to enter this battle prepared and ready to face the enemy. Now, now here's the sad thing, folks. I think many Christian people have missed the intentionality aspect of this. Many people have this idea that because I'm saved, that nothing can harm me, and I'm just going to kind of go through life haphazardly, not really concerned uh, about the forces that are coming against me. But Paul says, no, you've got to take it unto you. <laughs> you have to put it on. Now, here's the interesting thing and why we're looking at this today, because all of these things that he's going to mention in talking about this armor have to do with just what we've been talking about, abiding in Christ. It's the tools that you have at your disposal in order to keep you uh, in fellowship with God and walking in his grace and in his strength. And so I want to just briefly kind of examine these Notice he says in verse number 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. The very first piece of armor that he introduces us to is, is this issue of truth. Why? Why is truth so paramount and so important? Because our enemy, the devil, is a master manipulator and liar. That is what he is. That is how he works against us. That is his primary tool. In fact, it's been said before that every sin that is committed by man is a result of unbelief to some degree or another. In other words, it, it, it's, a, it's a belief in a lie. Satan convinces us of things that he, he convinces us are true when they absolutely are not. Again, we go back to Genesis 3 and we consider the situation with uh, with Adam and Eve, and he begins to interact with Eve, and he very subtly and very quietly says, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Ye shall not eat of every tree. Did God say you cannot eat any of the fruit here? Well, no, God didn't say that, did he? God never said that. In fact, he started the commandment by saying, of all the trees of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat the fruit of that tree, right? So Satan says, but didn't God say, don't eat the fruit of that tree? Or of any of the trees? Eve says, no, we can eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we can't eat the fruit of it said, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Is that what God said? God never said anything about touching it. Now, I've got a theory on that. I think what happened is God commanded Adam, and Adam said, hey, Eve, uh, don't even touch that fruit. God doesn't want us to have any of it. There's a problem when we start teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. 
But here's what it was. And immediately, Satan tried to convince Eve of something that wasn't true. And then he turned around and he denied God. Ye shall not surely die. God knows in the day you eat thereof, you'll be like God's knowing good and evil. Just eat it. Just take of it. You know, Satan's tricks, they're the same today as they were then. He tries to convince us that what God said isn't true. The consequences that God said are going to be there. Oh, that's not, that's not really for me. I know God said, thou shalt not this and thou shalt not that. But, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, after all, we live in the 21st century. You know, I mean, don't, don't you think that some of those commandments are a little bit outdated? Do you really think that God is serious about this or about that? And don't think that Christians don't get caught up in that. Because they absolutely do. But our enemy is a liar. In fact, in, in John chapter 8, Jesus said that he was a liar from the beginning. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. I mean, it comes from him. It says he's a liar and the father of it. By the way, if you lie, you're in bad company, <laughs> all right? He's a liar. He's a liar, and he works to deceive you. If you just follow your heart, you're going to be happy. If you just give in to this temptation, you're going to feel so satisfied. But it's a lie. And so God says if you want to overcome and you want to be able to overcome the temptation of, of, of lies and the distraction and the discouragement as Satan comes and, and speaks lies to us about God and ourselves and other people and convince us that we would be happier if we would just do what feels good, God says no, replace that with truth. Protect yourself with truth. Walk in truth. Then he notice he says that we are to have our loins girt about with truth. He says, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate is something that guards the vital organs in your chest, primarily your heart. That's a pretty important thing to guard, isn't it? Your heart, physically. Because the enemy knows they can strike at your heart. You're done for. You think Satan doesn't know that? If I can get the heart, I've got them. And so the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What, what are we guarding when we guard our heart? We're guarding uh, our mind. We're guarding our thoughts. We're guarding our, our sensitivity to God. And, and he says this breastplate is, is a breastplate of righteousness. Now, if you know the Bible, you know righteousness only comes from God. We have no righteousness of our own. It comes from God. And before you can be guarded and protected by His righteousness, you must be uh, saved. You must be forgiven. Isaiah 61 tells us that, that when, a, when a person gets saved, he says, I, 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 will, I will rejoice in God. Because he says, he's clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness. I'm thankful today that because I'm in Christ, I have the righteousness of Christ applied to me. But I am to live now every day guarding and protecting my heart with righteousness. That means that I have to deny 
the worldly influences of unrighteousness and wickedness and sin. You know what happens when a Christian begins to indulge in the unrighteousness and ungodliness of the world? Their heart begins to grow cold toward the things of God. They become less and less sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They, their, their heart becomes hardened and they begin to, be, to, to head down that road of becoming a casualty. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Notice he says in verse number 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is a fascinating thing. If we took the time to really uh, unpack all of these verses, I know there's, there's a lot that we could talk about, but I, I want you to just consider this. Uh, notice he didn't say uh, that, that, that the gospel is in our hands or in our mouth. He said it's our feet. And it has to do with going and proclaiming the gospel. You know, a lot of Christians say, I really ought to be a better witness. I really need to be faithful in telling people about Christ. Did you know that it's actually, it's part of the essential armor of your life spiritually? Did you know that when you witness for Christ, when you share the gospel with other people, there is something it does for your heart and your relationship with God? I don't even know how to express it, but I'm just telling you, friend, if you have, if it's been a while since you've sat down with someone and shared the gospel with them, you are missing out on something that God has for you. Something that, that is needed in your life. And I think it has, has to do with the fact that as we give the gospel to others, we ourselves are reminded of the truth. Did you know that the gospel is not just for lost people to be saved? It also is for saved people to live in victory. It's all about Christ. It's what he did for us. So he says that we are to... Uh, gird ourselves with truth. We're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are to be witnesses. We are to uh, put, put the shoes of the gospel on our feet. He says that we are to take the, uh, the shield of faith. Verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All the fiery darts of the wicked. As the enemy comes against you, he says, your tool against him and his attacks, faith. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh our, the world, even our faith. He says, And take the helmet of salvation, that peace which guards not only the heart, but this guards the head, the mind. Oh, friend, your, your mind is such a battleground. Your thought life is so important. In fact, there are certain things that we're told, for instance, in uh, Philippians chapter 4, that we are to not think on wrong things, but we are to think on right things. And, and, and we're to meditate in, in truth. That we are to take into captivity every thought, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. To put on the saved mind. And then the last thing he says is uh, to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And boy, we've spent some time, haven't we, over the past months on Wednesday evenings looking in Psalm 119 of the power of the Word of God and its effect in our lives. And friend, if you're a child of God and you want to walk in victory, you better be in this book, continually, faithfully, studying it, meditating on it, absorbing it, letting it become part of you. Because without it, you have no offense, you have no weapon 
we're commanded to meditate in the Word of God, to think on these things. And so I want you to just go back as we consider abiding in Christ and this concept of armor. And I, and I want to just tie this with you. A person who is abiding in Christ is one who is continually encompassing themselves in truth. They are resting in God, in His Word, in truth, so that when the enemy comes with his tricks, his wiles, as it calls it, we have a response. A Christian who is abiding in Christ is not only uh, encompassing himself with truth, but he is also continually putting on the righteousness of Christ. He is striving to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, to walk in the righteousness that God has given, and to reject the unrighteousness and wickedness of the world. A person who is abiding in Christ will be faithful in proclaiming Christ to the world around them. They'll be a witness. A person who is abiding in Christ is one who lives not by sight, but by faith. A person who is abiding in Christ has their mind fixed on that which is right and true and good. A person that is abiding in Christ is in the Word of God, meditating in the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to transform their life. And then look with me, if you would, at verse 18. As Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He said, if you really want to be victorious, if you want to remain standing and, and, and come through this battle without becoming a casualty, you need to always be praying. Praying always in a continual state of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. Romans 12 and verse 12 and Colossians 4, 2 both tell us that we are to continue in prayer. We are to watch in prayer. We are, we are to be in a continual state of prayer. Why? Because I am acknowledging to God, I don't have what it takes. I need you. And friend, I, I sincerely desire for every one of you and for me, To not become a casualty of this war. To not give in to the lies, the deceit, the tricks of the devil that would try to discourage, distract us, and deter us from the life that God has for us. But understand that we need God. We need God. Not just in a general sense over our life. You know, I need the big guy upstairs watching over me. I mean, every moment of every day, we need to be in fellowship and communication with God, re relying upon Him, resting in Him, and taking the truth that He's given us and letting it become part of us and, 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 and consume us so that we can rest in Him and ultimately, when it's all said and done and the dust settles, we can stand. Stand. 